I love the Macy's Mother's Day gift guide. I use it. It has the perfect gift to make all moms feel special. You can shop by price. You can shop by category. They have gift lists. You know, they have a list for the mom who has everything, one for grandma. And you can get top gifts like the Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag. I love a crossbody bag. Or the thing that my mom loved more than anything, the Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash gift finder. Love starts with you. You heard me. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that set a shining example for the world to see. From big feelings to small messages, beautiful hand-finished jewelry from Pandora radiates with your love from every angle. Pandora has a huge selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms. There are endless ways to show what's in your heart. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the Ultimate Office Rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hi, lady. How's it going? It's going really great. I'm in my new podcast closet. (laughs) I moved from one closet to another closet, but this is my permanent podcast closet. It's for podcasting. This is the third closet I've seen you in podcasting. (laughs) Right, because I did casino night from my daughter's closet. Well, let's tell everyone what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about the episode Back from Vacation. It is season three, episode 11, written by Justin Spitzer and directed by Julian Farino. Let's hear a summary. All right. Well, in this episode, Michael returns from his all-inclusive trip to Jamaica. He is tan. He is happy. We find out who he went with. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Jan. Scandalous office romance. Well, despite Jan's insistence that Michael keep their vacation a secret, Michael accidentally circulates an intimate photo of them to the entire office and beyond. So he and Dwight are going to spend this episode trying to retrieve and delete the photo while Michael awaits Jan's arrival in Scranton. Meanwhile, Angela has to throw together a last-minute luau, and Pam gives Jim advice that helps his relationship with Karen. Hmm. Yeah. Let's jump into fast fact number one. This episode was written by Justin Spitzer. Now, we talked a little bit about Justin before. He created the show Superstore. And remember, we found out that he's the person that wrote the twin absorption line for Dwight in grief counseling. Yes, that was the Jen Salata deep dive. And we found that out. Well, this was Justin's first full episode. So I reached out to him because I've kept in touch with Justin since we wrapped. Justin's just one of my favorite people, I have to say. He is so lovely. So I reached out to Justin and I asked him, Where did the idea for this episode come from? And he said it was really simple. Greg really wanted to explore this idea of that feeling you get when you have to come back from your vacation and go back to your work grind. And that was it. That was, they built the whole story around that one theme. You know what I love about that is that 
I find the stories I like the the most have such a simple premise. They're not heavy on premise and I find them usually the most relatable. Same, same. I feel like that's what made Halloween so great. You have to fire someone on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. You've just had a great vacation and now you're faced with the reality of your life back home. Yes. So then I asked Justin, what was it like being your first full script. And he said he was incredibly nervous about doing a good job. And he remembers that it was normal for writers to get a full week to write their first draft. You would usually get sent off on a Friday and you would have the whole next week and it wouldn't be due until the following Monday. You'd get about nine days. So he said that this script, though, they did not finish breaking it until Monday night, pretty late. And Greg said, I'm going to need this Friday morning. Ah. So he only had three days. This is reminding me of when Gene and Lee had to do their first script in like three days. Yeah, or the time Steve had to write his script over a weekend with his in-laws visiting. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. Justin said he grabbed a case of Diet Coke out of the kitchen. He said he basically lived on that for the next 72 hours. Oh, gosh. And I guess apparently after Justin left to go write the script, because you could write your scripts at home, uh, one of the other writers said to Greg, we're not behind. Why does he have to write it so fast? And that Greg smiled and said, to keep the pressure up, just tighten in the screws. Oh, Greg. (laughs) And he said, I think in retrospect, it weirdly did relieve some of the pressure of it being the very first script that he was writing because no one really expects a script that you write in only three days to be very good. So he was like, well, this is what it is. He did a dad mind trick. Oh my gosh. He was like, yeah, I need it in three days. But also knowing that that way, Justin wouldn't like make it too precious and take too long with it and kind of just shake off the cobwebs and jump in the deep end. How many analogies can I use? (laughs) It was good. I liked them. Well, Justin said he wants everyone to know that what we ended up shooting was way, way better than what he originally wrote, that he brought that script back. And um, he said he was not able to write the script that you see on the screen in three days. It went through a bunch of rewrites. And uh, basically, he said, if I showed you my first draft, your reaction would be, yeah, that pretty much seems like something it would take a person three days to write. But anyway, I thought that was so sweet. I love all of that. That's some really great behind the scenes in the writer's room. All right. Fast fact number two, Angela, directed by Julian Farino. Julian! Julian was born and raised in London. He attended Cambridge University. We loved him. We loved this British man. Well, Jenna, we were so excited to meet him because he had directed an episode of Rome on HBO. And you and I, at this time, were binging that show together. We were really into it. Jenna, I even remember one day when he was on set that we quoted a line to him. We were like, do you remember the line where we, no. you and I were like, 13, 13. Oh, yeah. That was and, such a good scene. And he looked at us and he was like, okay, okay, ladies. Well, if. If you could go back to reception, we're going <laughs> to But anyway, you guys, Rome was a show on HBO. And in my opinion, Rome was the first Game of Thrones. It was very Game of Thronesy. yes. It's extremely violent and bloody. And 
There's lots of warring political factions. What are you wearing? I'm wearing my Game of Thrones shirt because, because I don't know, Rome makes me think of Game of Thrones. So today on the podcast, I'm wearing my Game of Thrones shirt. Well, Julian also directed the first three seasons of Entourage, including Rain Wilson's episode, I Love You Too. Oh. I just think it's very funny because Charles McDougall, our other director, had also directed episodes of Rome. I just think it's really funny that we had these guys who had been directing bloody battles come into our little paper company, but they were so fun. I mean, yeah, the the scale of production that they had to do with chariots tipping over and people flying through the air and and then literally it'd be like, hey, can you use the stapler? slightly harder next to the copier like <laughs> like the yes. difference in like our quote-unquote action sequence on dunder mifflin versus rome well i think part of greg's thinking here was remembering that our show was not just a comedy that it had dramatic elements and was about real human people and so by having some of these directors who are known for doing these dramas these character-driven stories i think that might have been why he was drawn to them i'm speculating but that feels right I like your speculation. I like it. Thank you. Okay, I am moving us to fast fact number three. In this episode, Michael circulates a photo of himself and Jan in Jamaica on their vacation. Yes. And then the guys in the warehouse blow it up into a poster and hang it on the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We got a lot of mail about this picture. Yeah. We have a fan question from Prisha Singhal, Amanda McKnight, Megan Keel, Meredith Warlow, Stephanie Callahan, and many others. They want to know, was the Jan Michael photo made? Was it photoshopped? Some people want to know if Steve and Melora went to Jamaica to take this picture. Did they do a photo shoot there? How was this picture made? A lot of curiosity about this picture. We never had the budget to all go to New York or Scranton, so I doubt they went to Jamaica. Just kidding. I know they didn't. They did not. Well, I reached out to Kent Zabornak, Kentopedia, and also to Phil Shea Props, and they explained how we made this photo and poster. Are you ready? Yes. Kent told me that they built a tiny beach down in the warehouse, a little, like, set that looked like a beach. It had sand and lounge chairs, and it was against a green screen. I remember that. I, I remember us all seeing it and being like walking over there. I have a total memory of going down into the warehouse and there was this tiny beach. And then he said that he and Phil Shea reached out to the people at Sandals Resort who donated all kinds of product, which they featured, like the umbrellas, and all of the stuff that said sandals, they put it all in there. So then Melora and Steve got on the little beach set and they took a bunch of pictures. And both Justin and Kent remember that, you know, Melora did not have to get nudie for this. They did that in Photoshop, you guys. And Phil told me that then he had the posters printed from a little graphics shop in Culver City. And that is how they made the picture. That was some good fast facts, lady. Hey, well, thanks. All right. Why don't we take a break, Jenna? And when we come back, we'll be back from vacation. I like it.
So this winter, we went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can use Squarespace to create a website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to time, all in one place. Well, we've told you before that we use Squarespace for our Office Ladies website, and it is so user-friendly, so easy to use. We are not tech people, and we could not be happier with our experience. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash officeladies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. When you travel, do you ever think like, oh no, I hope I locked up, did I leave a window open, things like that? Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System in 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report, and Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space, you know? I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/officeladies. That's simplysafe.com/officeladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right. So we are back and let's get into this episode. There's a really fun cold open. It's Jim. He's got the sales team in the conference room because he's in charge while Michael's away and he's running this sort of sales meeting. Dwight, of course, I'm sure is bumping up against Jim and his authority. So he sets a little recorder in the middle of the table to record the meeting. And then Jim, of course, has to mess with him. He has to mess with him. He starts being like, Dwight, why are your pants off? And he's like, my pants aren't off. And then everyone starts chiming in. And then, of course, Andy takes it to an absurd place and is the fun stopper. Yes. We had a fan question about this cold open from Sam Terrazaz and Eva Mars. How much of the cold open was improvised? And Ange, I went to the script and it's basically all scripted. Like all of the stuff that Jim says that Dwight is doing and Karen's line and all of that, all scripted. I would have thought it was scripted. I feel like this is our our writers at their best. Like they were so great at heightening a comedic moment. So that tracks for me. I did write down um, everything that Jim accused Dwight of doing. 
Do you want to hear? <laughs> of course. Okay. So first of all, he says, Dwight, you're not allowed to take off your pants in the middle of the office. And then he's like, oh, God, he's got a knife. He's naked and he has a plastic knife to Stanley's neck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's what? He's naked? Like his neck holding up his head? <laughs> he's naked or he's naked? This is like a whole thing. My husband's always like, say that again. Naked. Naked? Naked. How do you say it? Naked. It's an A. It's spelled N-A-K-E-D. <laughs> well, naked. Where, where I'm from is naked. To be fair, it is also naked where I'm from as well. Really? In St. Louis, it's naked? Well, in Missouri. Oh. Like, it's interesting. St. Louis and Missouri have two kind of different accents. If you're from St. Louis, you're from Missouri. But if you're from outside of St. Louis, you're from Missouri and you're naked. Uh, (laughs) But if you're from St. Louis, you eat with a fork. (laughs) Yes. That's what Phyllis would always say. She'd be like, oh, I can't find my fork. Right. So she would eat her dinner naked with a fork (laughs) in Missouri. (laughs) But someone else is going to eat it with a fork naked in Missouri. Well, Jenna, if you're in North Texas, don't run around naked. Um, And then he also says that Dwight has a baby's bonnet. And then Phyllis is so adorable. She's so adorable in this whole episode. She's she wants to desperately chime in. And she's like, Jim Carrey's here. Get his autograph. You're like, what? And then Karen says, is that a Muppet Babies tattoo on your belly? And then, of course, Andy takes it to the place of, I'm chopping off Phyllis's head with a chainsaw. Ring, 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 ring. My favorite part of all of that is that when Jim says, oh, my God, Dwight is holding a plastic knife to Stanley's neck. The camera pans to Stanley and he does not even look up. He gives absolutely no reaction to everything that's happening in the room. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. I will point out that this conference room scene is a conference room table scene. Noted. The table is in the room. Table is in the room. Let's uh, let's move on. Sorry I took us on a detour with how I say naked. So now Michael has returned from Jamaica. He's super excited. He's desperate for Pam to ask him how his vacation was. But instead, Pam lets him know that Hannah quit while he was gone and um, she's filed some complaints and he might have to be deposed. And Michael's like, oh, Pam, it can wait. And she's like, it's kind of important. His, his exact response was blah, blah, blah. Relax. <laughs> um, there's a really sweet deleted talking head that is a Pam talking head that I think would have come about right here. And Jenna, guess what? She says that Michael sends her a postcard from every vacation he takes. I remember shooting this talking head. They gave me a bunch of postcards and I held them up one after the other, which I found sweet because that means Pam saves them. I know. And to me, it's like, you just really see who Pam is to Michael. You see why ultimately she's the last person he speaks to before he leaves at the end of, you know, his time on the office. Like, he sees her as family. I really think he does. Well, we had a fan question for this opening scene. There's that moment where Michael shakes his hair at Pam because he's gotten some little beads in his hair on his vacation. I'm telling you, Sandals was like adult camp for Michael. I mean, he says how you go, hey, mom, and then everyone yells, hey, mom. I can see him being so enthusiastic. (laughs) He's going to do everything. Braid my hair, learn the dances, learn the chants. He's in it, Jenna. He's in it. You're right. 
Well, we had this question from Ashley Browning, Hope Cogville, Jess Graham, Rachel LaPointe, and Teresa Rambuquella. They want to know whose idea was it to put the beads in the hair? Were they sewn in? Were they glued in? Well, Jenna, you know, we wanted to get the behind the scenes story on this braid. So we reached out to Kim Ferry, who did our hair on the office for all the scoop. And this is what she had to say. Well, hello, lovely office ladies. Gosh darn it, I miss both of you so much. (laughs) Thank you for asking me um, these questions. As usual, if uh, there were any hair gags, Greg Daniels would either have me paged up or he would come find me and we would discuss what the look would be for whatever the actors were doing in this episode. Uh, In this one, it was specifically... Michael Scott. And uh, I know on the makeup side, he was going to be tan because they wanted him to kind of have that, you know, tan glow from Jamaica. But on my side, uh, it was about having something in his hair. Could it be dreaded? Could it be beaded? You know, what could we do? And in the end, um, I kind of liked the idea of putting beads in, but I was a little nervous because his hair was only one inch on uh, the sides in the back. He had a short haircut at that time. So I wasn't sure if something would stick in there, but I, you know, I rose to the challenge and uh, told my team I was going to be in the trailer for a little bit. And I did a couple variations of it. And um, I also had human hair. So you can have these actual real human hair <laughs> clips. And um, I would sew them into these little things called toupee clips. And uh, I ended up braiding it down, probably about two inches long, two to three inches long. And at the very end, I had a, um, a little elastic on the bottom and that really held all the beads in place. And I, I know I had done a few options for Greg with different colors, but in the end, he liked the red and yellow and green. So that's what we went with. And the little clip, it just kind of like hooks into the hair. So it sticks really well. And if I just back combed it a little bit and then um, did a little bit of hairspray and then popped that clip in. It wasn't going anywhere and it didn't. It didn't move at all during that episode. (laughs) So I was very happy. Um, But that's just one of the things that I love doing when I get challenges from Craig. It was always fun to not only make him happy after he saw it, but just to kind of (laughs) really he would just, he would enjoy it. It made me so happy when he would smile and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's it. So that is my story for this episode. And I miss you both so much and I'm sending you hugs and I'm so proud of you. I love your podcast and I can't wait to hopefully join you guys there someday. All right, you guys take care. Love you both. Bye. Aw, that was so sweet. I love that. I love knowing that they didn't do anything to his actual hair. She would just clip that in and out every day. Yeah, I remember Kim always having these heads with like different like forms of hair and wigs and braids and like whatever she was tinkering on. She had like a row of like fake hair with like different versions of things, especially for Meredith. Oh, my gosh. Meredith was always having something done to her hair. So, yeah, thank you so much, Kim, for the uh, behind the scenes on that one. So listen, Ange, I know we're still talking about this opening scene. But I had to bring up something else. What? So when Michael walks through the door, he's carrying like nine gazillion bags, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to come to learn that one of them contains this steel drum that he is obsessed with playing. He's holding a box. He's yeah. holding bags and a box. And the steel drum, I think, is in the box because it's a big rectangle. Same. 
But it made me wonder what is in all the other bags? And that is an amazing deleted scene. Yes, Jenna. So those bags were gifts. They were like souvenirs that he bought everyone. They definitely look like the souvenirs you bought at the airport. And it's all in the deleted scenes. He goes around the office handing them out. Well, I remember doing that scene because the thing he gives Pam (gasps) is a coconut bra. And he's like, some coconuts for your coconuts. And I'm like, thanks. Then he says, do you want to see if it fits? And you're like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to go try on this coconut bikini top right now. Thanks. Yes, exactly. But I remember shooting that with Steve because I couldn't get through it. Every time I opened it up, it was so ludicrous to me that that was the gift he gave Pam. It would make me laugh. He gives Angela Martin a lay and he puts it around her neck. And she's like, thank you. And he goes, you just got laid. And I'm like, no, I didn't. (laughs) And you like rip it off, right? Yeah, I get really mad. (laughs) Well, next we're going to find out that Karen and Jim are experiencing some tension. Oh, yeah. And here is why. It is because Jim does not want Karen to move into an apartment that is two blocks away from his apartment even though she's been having a really hard time finding an apartment and she is currently living in a motel. She's at a day's inn. That's what we learned that in a deleted scene. I mean, come on. Well, she says it down in the warehouse to Pam as well later. She she needs to find a place to live. You know what I noticed? When Karen does her talking head, she's standing at the copier in the annex. (gasps) Remember in the other episode, we were like, is this copier always here? That's where she's standing. That's back by Kelly's desk and Toby's desk in the annex. Jenna, what does it mean if your talking head is in the annex? What does that mean? What does it mean? I think it means you're trying to avoid somebody and you're using the copier in the annex. Yeah. Jenna, speaking of deleted scenes, there's another great runner between Phyllis and Stanley. Because, you know, Stanley says he doesn't get all of his bonus and he's not going to work. Not a lick until he gets that bonus money. And it starts driving Phyllis crazy because he won't answer his phone. She has a phenomenal talking head. So that's in the DVD deleted scenes. I remember shooting those and they were very funny. And I love anytime there's a dynamic between Phyllis and Stanley. So now we're in Michael's office and he's playing the steel drum for Pam. He's telling her all about his trip to Jamaica. He's explaining that everyone in Jamaica just relaxes all day and they party all the time. They love it. Yeah. He's like, write this down, Pam. Pina Colada is every day at 3 p.m. Like he is just he is definitely not ready to go back to work. And this is when Pam breaks the news to him that they have to do inventory, which is something that he was hoping to avoid by going on vacation. And she says, Michael, we can't do inventory without you. We had to wait. It has to be done today. He is so bummed out. He hates doing inventory. He says it's boring. So he decides to make it a party. And he tells Angela, get the party planning committee together. We're going to have a luau. This afternoon. And she is not having it. She's like, what? Um, At four minutes, you get a shot of a real snarky expression from Angela Martin about this luau that she now has to throw. But please look at the outfit. Crazy blouse with a high collar, froofy collar, 
argyle sweater in shades of beige and brown, brown skirt, ponytail with what Kim Ferry and I called the swoop. This is a classic Angela Martin outfit, if I have to say so myself. Well, lady, we had a fan question from Katie Wegman, who is asking, is the shirt that you're wearing the same one you wore in Benihana Christmas because it looks almost identical? No, it is not. This season, the wardrobe department had bought me all of these high collared froofy blouses, which only live this season and never come back. But that is not the same one. It's yet another froofy blouse. Well, now we go into the conference room, Angela, because Michael wants everyone to watch a video slideshow on island life. And a big thing happens. Karen does not sit next to Jim. Yeah. Hmm. It's serious. This fight is serious. And then while they're watching this slideshow, Pam spots Jan on the beach with Michael. But he denies that it's her. Jenna, hold up. I have written down here. Pam pulls a Michael. Pam, why did you call it out? Why? I mean, that's something Michael would do. I feel like a normal move for Pam would be to notice Jan, totally know it was her, and not say anything. And instead, be like, oh, right? And then maybe go be chatty with Jim about it later. But instead, Pam points at the screen and goes, wait, is that Jan? That's Jan. And I feel like that's something Michael or Dwight would have done normally. I totally hear that. I think that's a valid analysis. I will say I think it was probably so shocking to Pam that she just blurted it out. I mean, it's to see Jan in the picture. She just, I I imagine she was just like, oh my God. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Okay, I get it. Well, we had a fan question about this scene, Angela, from Marin Allen. She wrote in to say, my 13-year-old daughter, Dakota, pointed out that when Pam notices Jan and Michael's vacation slideshow, Michael says that she's actually a German woman named Ergelgru. And my daughter would like to know if this name was improvised and if it has anything to do with Steve's despicable me character, Gru. I had the same question. So I looked it up. This episode was filmed in 2007, back from vacation. Despicable Me came out in 2010. So then I researched animation production and how long it takes a movie like Despicable Me to be made, and they take three to five years. So it is possible that there was an overlap that Steve was doing voiceover while we were filming on The Office. It's possible. Oh my gosh. And maybe that is why, because in the script it says Earl Grah, but he says Urkel grew. Maybe it was like on his mind. And that's why he said grew. Let's move it on. Michael, I mean, he's got to tell someone, right? He's so excited to tell Packer that Jan went with him to Jamaica. And Packer doesn't believe him. He's like, no way. So Michael's like, you know what? I'll send you a picture. And Packer's email is Packer at Dunder Mifflin but he sends it to packaging at Dunder Mifflin. And how this all goes down in the scene is so great because Michael is like, did you get it? Hit refresh, hit refresh. And Packer is like, no, I didn't get it. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, I just got it from someone else. 
And then, and then Michael's like, wait, wait, what? Why? Who else? What? And then Michael realizes he has sent it to the wrong place. He sent it to Daryl in the warehouse. Who has clearly forwarded it to Packer or someone else who forwarded it to Packer, but it is out, basically. I want to point out that that line at the end, when Packer says, how do I get you out of this picture? That was an improv. That was a Dave Keckner ad. Yeah, that's that's Dave Keckner at his best. After Michael gets off the phone with Packer, he is freaked out. Oh, he's freaking the heck out. He needs to do damage control. So he runs, he sprints to the warehouse. We had a fan question from Anna Rhodes. She says, at seven minutes, 20 seconds, where is that hallway that Michael is running down to get to the warehouse? Anna, I had the same question. So I did some digging, but Jenna, I know you did too. And you went to Kentopedia. So what do you got? All right. Kent told me that that is the hallway where our writers work. He is running down the writer's hallway. All those doors you see are writer's offices. And when he turns the corner and he runs through that doorway, he is running into Mindy Kaling's office. Is he really? Yes. Oh my God. I thought that was Kent's office. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that. Well, I have a little catch, Jenna. He runs past a woman sitting at a desk, right? Right at the very beginning of his sprint. Well, that is Mary Wall. And she was our executive producer assistant. She's in an orange hoodie. She, She was the best. She did everything for us. I loved that we put Mary in that scene. So I guess they just made all the writers close their doors. But they let Mary keep working and they just shot that scene. Steve ran right past her. Yeah. And the desk that Mary is sitting at is directly outside of the writer's room conference room. They had their own conference room. And Steve starts his sprint right in the doorway of that writer's room conference room. And he runs right past Mary at the desk outside of it. Well, after he runs into Mindy's office, obviously, it's a dead end. So they had to cut there. Then Steve had to go down into the warehouse, walk up the steps and get into that little fake box at the top of the (laughs) stairs that actually leads nowhere. And then come back down. Yes. And then they would yell action and he would come running back down the stairs as if he had actually come from somewhere. Right. So then he runs into Daryl's office. And I believe, Angela, this is the first time we've seen Daryl's office in the warehouse where we've actually gone inside of it. In this scene, at 7 minutes, 38 seconds, Daryl is eating a giant plate of food. We had a fan question from Dave H. and Andrea Petit-Bell. What is up with Daryl's massive plate of food? When Michael (laughs) goes in to ask him about the picture. Well, Angela, it is not in the script that Daryl is eating. And usually... It is. Usually it is scripted that we're eating food. Here's why I went to look. When I looked at that plate of food, it 100% looked like the stuff they would serve us at craft services. I thought the same thing. Jenna, oh my God. When I looked at it, I was like, is Craig as Daryl just holding his lunch or like a snack he made? Yeah. I think he was hungry and he was having a plate of food, and they were like, oh, you should just eat that in the scene. That food brought me back. I had a sense memory when I saw the plate. I was like, that's our food. That's what we used to eat all the time. Yeah, especially like they would bring in those big trays of chicken wings. Remember? Yes. Uh, Like drumsticks and wings. Yes. Well, so when Michael is there, he's 
asking Daryl, did you get my email? Did you? And Daryl's like, yeah. And he's like, well, did you get my email about deleting that email? And Daryl's like, you know what, Mike? I'm very busy down here. So clearly, Daryl is going to be no help in getting Michael's picture deleted. Oh, no. Well, I want to take us back to accounting for a second, Jenna. Humor me for some background catches. At 8 minutes, 12 seconds, Andy, Meredith, and Jim are gathered around Kevin's computer looking at the photo. Now, over Kevin's shoulder, you can see a a message on his bulletin board that says, don't eat the yellow snow. Maybe Kevin Kevin needed a reminder. But at 8 minutes, 18 seconds, there is a post-it note on Angela Martin's side of the partition. And Jenna, I zoomed in on that sucker. I zoomed on it so hard. And do you know what it says? We got so much mail about this post-it note. Angela, you're going to make so many people very happy right now. What does it say? Well, I have to thank my husband, Josh, because this was half an hour of our lives that I made him do with me. <laughs> I He has <laughs> editing software. I made him screen grab, blow it up. We put different filters on it that would highlight different letters. You guys, it was a huge task, but we did it. This is what we 99.9% believe that it says after our half an hour research. Angela, comma, can I have $8 petty cash to buy some more jelly beans? I'll get you licorice and cherry. Thanks, Pam. Oh, my gosh. I'll get you licorice and cherry. Well, you know that Dwight likes licorice. Wow. I guess you're the one who likes cherry. I guess so. But we literally, it was like, it was like we had found the Rosetta Stone. We're like, that's an R. I'm positive. Okay, that's a C. That's a Y. Like literally, like we were like figuring out hieroglyphics and (laughs) we became obsessed. And that's what we're pretty sure it says. Well, what I love about that is that it reveals that Pam doesn't pay for her own candy. She gets petty cash from Angela and that it is something that Pam is doing for the office, almost like maybe the person before her did it too. I could imagine Pam starting work and Angela going up to her and saying, you will put out candy on your desk. I will give you petty cash. You need to bring me a receipt. But like this is part of Pam's like work list. Yeah, it made me rethink front reception too, especially during the holidays because I thought, All those little decorations, I always sort of thought that was Pam's effort to spruce up her desk area. But now I think maybe Angela Martin is like, remember, you have a budget for decorating the front reception. It's the first thing people see when they walk through the door. Yeah, like this candy and the decorations are mandated. Can we, though, believe that Pam buys the plants herself? If you want to. Thanks. (laughs) She can't keep any of them alive, but okay. Okay. All right. So now we have two things happening. We have Michael who tells Dwight about the photo. He says he needs Dwight's help in retrieving it. My favorite part of this scene is when we learn that Michael has named the photo Jamaican Jan Sun Princess. Amazing. And then the other thing that happens is that Jim is sad, sad Jim is in the break room. Pam walks in and she gets Jim to confide in her. And he says that he is in kind of a stupid fight with Karen. And Pam says, do you want to talk about it? I have a question for you. What? Do you really think that Pam wants to talk about it? Or do you think somewhere deep in her subconscious, I don't think she's a mean-spirited person, but maybe she has found a way just to spend time with him again? Of course. Of course. 
she I has think, she has ulterior motives here. Well, I think it's also though. You know what? I actually don't think she has those ulterior motives. I think she is really trying to believe and convince herself that she can have a friendship with Jim and that this is what friends do. So, yes, I think part of her is craving that connection. But I think the real thing and why she's going to break down later is that she thinks she's ready to be this kind of friend to him. And she's going to find out that she's not. Right. But she thinks that she is. And this is her attempt. Well, I'll tell you, there's a deleted scene between Jim and Pam. I'm actually, for their storyline, I think it was the right thing to delete it because it takes Pam's sort of earnestness to want to help him and try to really be a good friend to him. And it makes it seem like maybe she just wanted to hang out with him. And it's the two of you at front reception at Pam's computer kind of in that canoodling form, the way you guys used to play on pranks on Dwight and he'd be leaning in, you'd be laughing and looking at each other. You're doing all of that, but you're looking for apartments together for Karen. Oh. And it felt, it felt off. And so I think it was the right move to delete it. I'm glad they deleted that because my takeaway from this episode was that Pam was being really earnest. Yeah. And then just realized she can't. She yeah. She can't be that yet. Well, we also get a big piece of information about Jim and Karen's relationship in this scene. We find out that they've been dating a month. Jim says, we've only been dating a month. That is not very long. No. So definitely the whole dating thing started after she moved to Scranton. Because we are about four weeks into her move. That kind of makes Jim's argument make sense. I mean, if you've just started dating someone, you're only dating them a month, you might not want them living right down the street because you're like, what if it doesn't work out? Yeah, but are you really going to see them that much unless you want to? I mean, it's not like they're direct neighbors or living in the same building. I don't know. Two blocks away is far if you want it to be. I don't know. I might be on Jim's side on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, guess might be like, I might be like, hey, I want to be able to go for a walk or jog. I mean, who are we kidding? I'm not jogging anywhere. But like, my point is, I don't know. That might be too close. So in the end, Pam tells Jim that she thinks maybe he's being unreasonable. Maybe he should reconsider. She very gently suggests this. And then they start giggling about the fact that Michael went to Jamaica with Jan. Yes. Um, and that must feel like a little bit like, like they're back and that must make Pam happy. You know, yeah. that's like that moment. I want to give a little shout out to a Toby line because Toby confronts Michael in the next scene saying that he has to report it if he's having a relationship, um, you know, with a coworker and Michael's denying everything. But Toby says nine different people emailed me that photo, including my ex-wife. And we don't even really talk. I love that. And then I, that made me laugh out loud. And then Michael's response is, well, maybe this will be the icebreaker. (laughs) That's how Michael responds to that. But if it just shows you how far and wide this photo is going now. So now here's what's happening in the rest of the office. Angela's in the conference room. She has called together an emergency meeting of the party planning committee. How are they going to throw this luau? She's very stressed. Oh, she's not happy about it. So then the very next scene, we're all out in the bullpen again. We're done with our meeting, apparently. Pam is back at reception. She's fielding a phone call from Jan. This must be a time jump. Maybe it was a continuity error. 
I don't know. There's a little, there are a couple times when Pam is both in the break room talking to Jim and at the reception desk. <laughs> Pam has superpowers. She's like Pam all over the place. Pam is in a lot of places at once in this episode. But in this moment, Jan has called the office and Michael will not take the call. He is freaking out. He says he will call Jan back. And I want to note, Angela, not only are you not in the conference room at 12 minutes, four seconds, you are standing at the mail cart with Andy. Hold up, lady. Three seconds ago, you were shredding green construction paper to make decorations for the luau. Now you're at the mail cart. What's happening? Using the mail cart, apparently. Very important. Mail cart tracking. What? With Andy? Well, I have a question for you, Jenna. At 12 minutes, 14 seconds, Dwight opens Michael's office window, not the window that faces the bullpen, the window that faces like front reception and the couch, you know, the hallway as you come in. He slides the window open and tries to poke his head through the blinds to tell Michael he needs to come down to the warehouse ASAP. Yeah. Jenna, is that the first and only time that windows open? I'm not sure. I feel like we've opened that window before and there were other people who wrote in and pointed that out that why did Dwight do that? How did he do that? But yeah, he slid the window open and spoke through the blinds, I guess because he's been in the warehouse, he's run upstairs and he needs to tell Michael immediately. And for some reason, I guess he thinks this is more secretive or something, a way to get Michael's attention. I mean, it was so jarring to me. I'm like, oh God, Dwight, where are you coming from? What's happening? Well, then Michael and Dwight, they do that run down the hallway again. They go into the warehouse to discover that they have turned his picture with Jan into a giant poster and hung it on the wall. And all the guys start applauding for Michael. Michael is so conflicted in this moment. He doesn't know if he wants to be popular or if he wants to do the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, Jan is legendary within this office. She is the corporate boss. So this is a this is a big story. And yeah, Michael is very conflicted. All right. Well, I think maybe we should take a break. And when we come back, we'll figure out how Michael is going to solve this problem. And see if this luau party actually happens. Yes. Listen to this. Because this sounds amazing to me. Ready? Okay. In a world that stops for no one, with life dominated by screens, there's still a place filled with endless reasons to put the phone down and pick up life. Doesn't that sound lovely? Where are we talking about? South Dakota. That's where Lee was born. Really? South Dakota. How did I not know that? I don't know. I didn't know he was born in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. He has family there. Well, South Dakota is a great place to vacation and adventure. You can get worlds away from home in the Badlands, find peace among the pines in the Black Hills, and unwind with each bend of the Missouri River. And if you're looking for love, you might find a Lee there. Oh my gosh. Made a good fella, South Dakota did. From Sioux Falls to Deadwood, you'll find yourself getting lost in a place that brings you closer to the world around you. You can immerse yourself in the creativity of both contemporary and traditional crafts. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at TravelSouthDakota.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we all carry around different stressors. Some are big, some are small. I know I keep mine kind of bottled up, and it can start to affect us. Well, therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can finally get a chance to talk about all those stressors. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OfficeLadies today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OfficeLadies. All right, we are back. Michael makes an announcement in the office and tells everyone that they have to delete this photo. That is not Jan. It could be Jan, but it's not Jan. But whatever the case, just delete the photo. Then he goes down into the parking lot and he starts playing his steel drum again. It's a very wintry parking lot, too. Like the trees are covered in snow. But he's determined to play the only thing he knows, which is feeling hot, hot, hot. (laughs) Yes. And only one note Uh from that song. Can he play on the steel drum? And I'm really glad that you mentioned the weather, Angela, because we had to set all of that up. We shot this in October, but of course, this aired in the middle of winter. So we wanted to make sure that our seasons on the show coordinated with what would actually be happening in Scranton, Pennsylvania at the time. And it was my idea to not come all the way out the door. I said, Pam doesn't have her coat on. I think if if this were really me, I would just sort of hover inside and kind of talk through a crack in the door when it's really cold. And I just love that that made that in. They liked that idea. And so that's why Pam doesn't come all the way outside to talk to Michael. Oh, I loved that. I didn't know that, but it felt very real to me that you'd be like, hey, idiot, come inside. Can I confess something? Yeah. I really love when I get to pretend to be cold. Really? Yeah, because I'm cold all the time. I feel like I have such a full suitcase of material to pull from when I need to be cold. I'm cold constantly. And so that's why I was like, oh, you need me to pretend to be cold? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I wouldn't walk all the way outside without a coat on. Let me throw that at you. And there was like, there was an episode a few episodes ago where we were all in the parking lot and we were pretending to be cold. And I saw myself I kept putting my mouth down into the front of my coat and breathing into it because that's something I do when I'm cold. I'm noticing all of my cold detail acting and I'm really proud of it. So I'm giving a little flex to it right now. All your cold stick. You've got your cold yeah. stick down. Um, I own a sweatshirt that says always cold that my family gave to me as a gift because I drive everyone crazy. I sneak up behind and turn the thermostat off like I'm that person. So, Jenna, I don't know if I'm great at pretending to be cold, but I'm with you. I mean, you and I froze our butts off on that set. So now we're at the luau. Angela Martin is cutting up spam because... I guess that's all you could get. You couldn't get a full pig from the petting zoo, as you had told Phyllis. Oh, Lord. Well, my dad loves spam. So when I saw that, I just got tickled because it made me think of my dad. My dad, whenever he... My mom was really in charge of all the cooking and meal prep when I was growing up, unless it was barbecuing. Like, they were so traditional. My dad, like, manned the barbecue. But if my mom, and it was very rare, but let's say my mom woke up and she was like, oh, gosh, I have a cold, I have a fever, you know, whatever. One of those mornings where my dad had to take over, 
my dad would fry spam and we'd all be like, ah, and he'd be like, you're going to have spam. And then he would fry it up for breakfast. And then if he had to make our lunch, he'd be like, well, we got leftover spam. It was like, dad, so much spam. What is spam? I think spam's a lot of parts. Does it have flavors in it? Is it a specific flavor? It's very salty. Okay, wait, we're getting a message from Cody. This is the benefit of Zooming our podcast. Our producer can pop on. She is telling us that Spam's basic ingredients are, quote, pork with ham added, salt water, modified potato starch as a binder, sugar and sodium nitrate as a preservative. There is also a natural gelatin that is formed during cooking in its tins on the production line. Cody's clarifying. Ham is from the pig's hind leg, while pork is any meat from pigs. Wait, guys, the spam conversation is not over. Because I know you were worried that we were stopping the spam conversation, but Sam just threw down that there are 15 different flavors of spam. Okay, well, that seems crazy. It's what you're here for, guys. It's It's what what you're here for. It's what you're here for. All right. Well, so yes, we're back to the luau in the warehouse. Jim gives Karen some papers. What are they, Jenna? Yes, he hands her a rental agreement for the apartment that is two blocks away from him. And they're so happy and they make up. You know, Angela, we got a lot of questions about why are they having this luau down in the warehouse? People were kind of confused. And I think that's because there were a bunch of scenes that got deleted from this section of the show that remind you that we're supposed to be doing inventory down there. There are so many deleted scenes from the warehouse. So there were all of these little vignettes. One of the ones I loved was that Ryan is staring at a bunch of boxes and he has like a clicker in his hand, like, you know, that you would check off like a barcode, like beep, beep. And Roy walks up and goes, what's the problem? And Ryan's like, well, we're seven boxes short of whatever yellow paper, whatever it was. And Roy just takes the clicker from Ryan and then just scans into the air like seven. Beep, 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 beep. And he goes, fixed. So there's like, and Ryan's like, oh, so we're not doing, we're just fudging it. But like, there's all these different moments within the warehouse that are happening that remind you that we're actually there to do inventory. Then another deleted scene that happens is Meredith is doing inventory and she's trying to get to one of the boxes on top of the shelf. And she does that thing, you guys, I have done so many times, especially in a grocery store when I can't reach something on the top. I climb up the bottom of the shelf and she does this and the whole entire shelf comes crashing down on her head with all the boxes. (laughs) She's completely buried. If you watch the deleted scenes, you can't even see Kate anymore. She's buried No one notices. People just keep on business as usual. And then you hear this muffled voice say, hello, I'm stuck. Hello? (laughs) (laughs) We got a fan question about this moment. Jess Moore wrote in and said, did Kate Flannery do her own stunt in that deleted scene in the warehouse? Well, Jess, we reached out to Kate and this is what she had to say. Hey, Office Ladies podcast fans. It's me, Kate Flannery. Meredith from the office. Um, yes, uh, I did a lot of my own stunts. I kind of got the idea that as much physical comedy as I could do, I was going to do. So I have, I said yes to a lot of my stunts, even though I know that there was a stunt double there that day, Debbie Evans, but they did not use her. Um, happened several times. Uh, so 
I think they, the stunt people still got paid, but, and I never went to the hospital, so who cares, right? Um, but yeah, we sort of perfected things. Um, so by the time Meredith gets hit by the car in season four, uh, we were really off to the races. So this is, this episode, this stunt was kind of the, the beginnings of, um, of my bravery. So thanks for watching. She's fearless. She really is. That is insane. I mean, she is fearless. If you go and watch that deleted scene, truly a whole entire shelf full of stuff falls on her and you can't even see her. It's it's she's fearless. I would have been like, Debbie, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you in. Debbie, get on in here because I'm. <laughs> there is no way I would have done that. No way. I am too much of a scaredy cat. You know, what's interesting is that one of the things I really wanted to do on this show, I don't know why, I think I think I'm a badass driver. I'm probably not, but I always wanted to do all my driving stunts. And when they let me, like, because, you know, Dwight and I have a few driving scenes, I would get really excited. Don't want to do those either. I like it when they hook it up to a rig and pull the car. I'm like, I don't want to drive this down the road while I'm acting. No one wants that. I've had (laughs) to do that before. I'm always terrified. (laughs) Well, one thing that did make it into the scene is this very odd moment of Daryl finding his iPod. And I want you to know that is not in the script. That was an improvisation by Craig on the day. He actually found an iPod deck and speaker somewhere back in the warehouse. And he just did this bit and it made it into the show. And it is so funny to me. We got so much mail about it. People were like, is there something I'm missing? Is there a deleted scene from a previous episode where Daryl loses his iPod? Is this product placement for iPod again? No, it was just this random funny bit. He does it with such like real enthusiasm. Well, we had to be there pretending like we were going through boxes, guys. So we were really doing stuff, which you don't really see. It didn't really make it into the show. But I think that he legitimately opened up a box and that was in there and he got all excited. Yes. Exactly. Well, I have a little Angela Roy moment that happens right at the same time. At 14 minutes, 44 seconds, you can see Angela starts to walk up to Roy and is about to like go up to him. And then Daryl yells, I found an iPod dock. And I, I whip my head and I pivot the other way. Wow. You have to go and watch it. More of the untold Angela Roy story. And I'm wondering, I mean, what what was meant to happen there? Like, it's not in the script. It's not in deleted scenes. But I'm sure I had, was given some direction maybe to go over and, you know, in the background sort of talk to Roy. But yeah, mm-hmm. when Daryl yells, I turn around and go the other direction. It's a fun little catch. Well, then we see Pam is doing some inventory and Karen comes up to her and thanks her. She says, Thank you so much for talking sense into Jim. Karen is so happy. Her relationship is back on. Everything's okay. And then we cut to Pam just sobbing on a bench in the hallway. And Angela, I watched this scene and it just brought tears to my eyes because I remember shooting it so clearly, so clearly. And we got a lot of, questions about it. So we got questions from Joe Salazar, Angie Letworth, Elisa Goldman, Jillian Riley, and Charlie Sparkenbaugh. They wanted to know, how was it filming that iconic Pam and Dwight scene when Pam is crying? 
Well, guys, this was like early on in the show. And whenever we had these really emotional scenes, like that parking lot scene with Jim and Pam, we would just kind of shut down everything. And I remember that we shut down the set and we took hours prepping and shooting this crying scene. It was really important to Greg that I really be crying. They did not want to put fake tears in my eyes. He wanted me to really go there. And this is a really big challenge for an actor. And so what they did was they made everything really quiet. And no one talked to me for about a half hour. And I put on the saddest music I could find. And it was sad because it was personal to me, right? It was music that brought up memories of breakups, music that I listened to at different times in my life when I was having a particularly hard time. So it would bring up a lot of emotions. And I had spent the previous week creating this playlist because I knew that it would invoke a lot of emotion. And I sat and I listened to it until I was crying. And then Kelly, our first AD, came and took the headphones away from me. And then they started rolling. And that's how they were able to begin the scene with me crying. Because when you play a scene, Angela, and you have dialogue and you have connection with a person, a lot of times that will bring the emotion out of you. But it's really hard to start a scene in a full cry because you would just have to get yourself there. No, that's so true. It's it's actually really hard because you're basically taking yourself emotionally from zero to 60. And um, I had to do a crying scene in a show called Haters Back Off that was like something in the middle. And I remember yeah. they let me sort of sort of just step away from set to get myself there. And once I was there, they started rolling. I took this acting class and it was talking about emotional journeys. And the acting teacher um, encouraged us to pick a song one song, because sometimes on set, you don't have the luxury of being able to like go listen. That really shows how much our show was taking care of you in that moment, I feel like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But sometimes you only have a few minutes to reset yourself emotionally and to get to that place. So we took, everyone picked one song. And in your mind, you sing that one song. And by the end of that song, you should be in that emotional place. And um, it really worked for me. And I find for myself now, I'm older now, guys, I'm 49 and um, more life has happened to me and it's easier for me to get to that place than when I was a younger actor. Yeah, same. But music is a big way to trigger it for me. And I think for a lot of actors, I've created musical soundtracks for a lot of things I've done. I had to do a play and I had to start out the play in a rage. I had to start out very, very angry. And I couldn't find a song that exactly triggered my anger. I had a song that would kind of amp me up. And then I realized I had some audio of an ex-boyfriend who I like really was pissed at still to this day. I found this audio tape and I played his voice and it made me so damn mad that I would, you can hear me right now just thinking about it. It made me so damn mad that I could just walk out on stage and start screaming at the other actor on stage because just his voice triggered me. Wow. So I think there, you know, music, something you can listen to. Yeah, that, that works. Yeah, I think that goes, I mean, you guys listening, you can, I know. 
they're songs that take you right back to a moment in your life. That's that's the power and beauty of music, right? The song that like would make me tear up by the end is a Lefty Fazell song called um, That's the Way Love Goes. Mm. So, and yeah. so it's an old song. Some of you will know it. Some of you in this moment know that I'm 100 years old because it's a really old song. Well, one of the songs I was listening to to help make me cry for Pam was a Ben Fold song, but I had a whole Pam soundtrack that I would listen to on my drive to work during season three when her and Jim were estranged. And it was Nora Jones. Lady. She's just so soulful and wishing and a little lost. I remember you guys doing the scene and I remember it from the filter of your BFF. And I remember you were really anxious about it. You really wanted to get it right. You were doing all the prep. I remember when you guys went to do the scene that I left you alone. You know, you don't need your chatty five foot one. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to give her all the space she needs. And rewatching it, Jenna, it made me tear up. It's so beautiful. And I think I see Rain as Dwight tearing up. But surely Dwight wouldn't tear up. But I think Rain, your friend, is tearing up watching you cry. Angela, it's making me get choked up when you say it because this is a little bit of a place where the line blurred between the Rain that you and I know and Dwight. Rain simply couldn't do that scene without empathizing with Pam. Every time we did a take, he teared up when I cried harder. It was like Rain Wilson, the man, was incapable of sitting next to a person in pain without feeling their pain. And this is the thing that we know about Rain. It's the thing that we love about Rain. And when I saw it in the scene, it just made me miss Rain so much because that's who Rain is to me on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw Rain. I just saw him and he's tearing up. And then he has to snap back to Dwight, Yeah, you know, and say the line or, you know, PMSing pretty hard, right? Yeah. Yes. One of of my favorite things he does in this scene as Dwight is he takes his jacket off and you're positive he's going to wrap it around Pam and he ties it around his waist (laughs) so awkwardly. Yes, that was in the script. That's the other thing. All the little beats, all the moments, him putting his jacket around his waist, giving the handkerchief, awkwardly putting his arm around her shoulder. All of that is scripted. All those moments. It's just it was a beautifully written scene and they gave us great time to figure it out and shoot it. I'm I'm really proud of that scene. It's one of my favorites from the series that I got to do. I know you just did it so well. Where are we now? Well, Jan has arrived. Oh, it's so awkward. Jan has arrived and you could you could cut the tension. Even though we were acting, <laughs> I remember Melora has such a presence. And when she walked into that warehouse, it was like you could hear a pin drop. Even though we knew we were acting, it just was a powerful moment. Yes. And Michael's slow walk up the stairs was so good. So good. So good. And then, Jenna, when they get back to Michael's office, what a power move. Jan is sitting in his seat. He has to sit across from her where the other employees would normally sit. It was so badass. I so loved it. So now in this scene, 
you don't know what's going to happen. You're pretty sure that she knows about this picture and she has come to just lay into Michael about sending out this photo. But she's either unaware of the photo or she doesn't care because she tells Michael this amazing speech. It's so amazing. It's so good. She says her therapist thinks she has self-destructive tendencies and she should just lean into them. Let's try that for a change. Let's just go with the destruction. I love it. She says in this past year, I have been through a divorce, an identity theft, an identity theft. She's like, my ex-husband, you know, can't or won't share his feelings with me. And then she says, maybe she will find happiness by lowering her expectations and following her instinct to be with Michael. Everything in Melora's performance is perfection. And then it is mirrored by Steve's perfect reactions to everything she's saying. He is confused. He isn't sure if he can be happy. He's clearly like afraid to react. Yeah, he's frozen because he's like, she's breaking up with me. Wait, she's not? Wait, she likes me. Oh, but she's leaving me. Who's this therapist? What's happening? (laughs) All of those things are happening. And then, you know, she grabs him and gives him a big sloppy kiss. I wrote on my card, Jan, hashtag DGAF. What's DGAF? Don't give a f***. Oh, because... (laughs) She knows the camera crew is there. She is clearly over it. She's like, I'm going to lean into this, just like my doctor said. She says, meet me back at your condo in 15 minutes. And then it's my favorite moment. I mean, well, there's many favorite moments, but this is one of my favorite moments. He is stunned. And he looks at her and says, you complete me. Like from Jerry Maguire, (laughs) like that scene in the elevator. He's like, you complete me. And she looks at him and pauses. It's such a, such a wonderful pause. And she goes, oh, God. All of that was scripted, Angela. Oh, it's so All of good. That. It says that he says that line. And then it says Jan pauses and then sighs. But she's like still going to meet him at his apartment. Yeah, that oh, God is like, well, I'm in it now. <laughs> Lady, we got a fan question about this scene that so intrigued me. Listen to this. This is from Nilly. Nilly said, Daniel Levinson and Roger Gould are adult developmental psychologists who have contributed massively to the field, including the study and definition of the midlife crisis. Is Jan Levinson Gould's name a reference to the fact that she is the epitome of a midlife crisis, or is it just a coincidence? That is an amazing catch. I think it's a coincidence because I don't think they knew that the character of Jan was going to become what she was when we started. So when they named her Jan Levinson Gould, they were not aware that she was going to spin out and go down this road with Michael yet. That, That happened over time. But I will tell you that I appreciate this fan letter because it sent me down a fabulous two-hour rabbit hole where I Googled Dr. Roger Gould adult development theory. Fascinating. I'd like you to know that you can also get a book called The Seasons of a Man's Life by Dr. Daniel Levinson, but 
All of their work was combined into a wonderful book by Gail Sheehy. She's a feminist journalist, and she wrote Passages, Predictable Crises of Adult Life. Did I buy all these books and I'm waiting for them? Maybe I did, Nilly. Maybe I did. I'll report back. But guys, if you want to go on the journey with me, you can Google it all. It was really awesome. Jenna, I love this so much because you and I do our prep separately. So I don't know the rabbit holes you're going down. You're doing that. And I spent half an hour looking up different flavors of jelly beans. It's all valid, lady. It's all good. And all important. It's all important. Well, you know, so we go back to the luau. It's not going great. People look like they're having a pretty lame time. And there's a scene between Roy and Pam. And he kind of cheers her up. Yeah. Yeah. Roy says, remember how we were deciding where to go on the honeymoon? You wanted Hawaii. I wanted Mexico. Well, I was right. So I think he's sort of saying that Mexico would be better than Hawaii because this Luau's lame. I don't track his reasoning, but Pam laughs. And I think she really needed that laugh. Yeah. This was the first moment where we show that like Pam is being comforted by Roy. So all along, we've been seeing Roy try to make these gestures reaching out to her. And this one lands. And this was kind of going to maybe put Pam and Roy back on track. Well, before we wrap up back from vacation, Jenna, I have one deleted scene. It's a Michael talking head. And I have to share it with you because it really sums up Michael's, Michael's state of mind as he comes back from Jamaica. All right. I got to hear this. What is it? So Michael is driving in his car to work. It's his First day back to work from Jamaica, driving in his car, talking head. He says, you know how they say take a chill pill? In Jamaica, I took one. Guy on the beach sold it to me for $40. And after I finished vomiting, I was more relaxed than I've ever been. I lost six pounds too. And that's how I want every day to be. Yeah. He wants to take a pill, vomit his brains out. Then be relaxed. And then have a pina colada at three o'clock. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, guys, that was back from vacation. Yes. Thank you so much for sending in your questions. And a big thank you to Kim Ferry. You can find her on Instagram at hairfairy.kim. That's H-A-I-R-F-E-R-R-Y.kim. She posts so many fun behind the scenes things from all the projects she's worked on, including The Office. And Kate Flannery, thank you so much for your audio clip. I asked Kate, was there anything I could share? And she said, will you tell them all that I'm just so tickled that I, Meredith Palmer, has a Funko Pop? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You can see what Kate's up to at The Real Kate Flannery on Instagram. And also thank you to Justin Spitzer. And of course, Kentopedia for helping us answer all those fan questions. Thanks, guys. Yes, and Phil Shea. I reach out to these guys all the time and they always come through for me. We couldn't do the podcast without them, just like we couldn't make the show without them. That's right. And you guys and Sam and Cody. Love you all. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our producer is Cody Fisher. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.